welcome to Bangor Community Church Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed today as you hear the Word of God. Well, it's my joy and privilege to welcome Pastor Colleen. And uh, we, Brian and I, have been having a lovely time with uh, both pastors. And I tell you, they have come at their own expense and they've come and they're pouring and pouring and pouring into Brian and I, into the church, into Kingdom Harvest Church. And we're just so grateful. So receive, get your notebooks out, receive everything, listen with your heart what God has to share and say to you this morning personally and to this church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's welcome her church. Let's welcome. Thank you, darling. What a privilege it is to be here. I'm so delighted. I'm not worthy to stand here and minister to you guys, but can you, you know, all the words that are probably different than the way you say it, and, but don't look at the vessel. (laughs) I'm just a donkey. (laughs) I'm coming to speak to you from the word, but the Bible says that signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. So as we preach this morning, we know according to his word and his will, it shall be done. Hallelujah. My sermon this morning is about light, being marked by light. What are you marked by? Sometimes we're marked by scars of the past, even experiences that we wish we could forget. But they've sort of marked our path. They've marked our life. Sometimes those scars can follow us through our life, even when we don't want them to. They just show up anyway, don't they? But there is a place of being marked by God's light, God's experiences. In fact, I just want to say, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, on almost exactly the same words. Those who live in darkness have seen a great light. God's light. God's come to earth. God came to earth, and he was the light of the world. Amen? The world is a place of darkness today. And if you don't believe it, (laughs) you got your eyes closed. (laughs) The world is a place of darkness. Light has been replaced by opinion, excuses, excesses, (laughs) greed, selfishness, and love of pleasure. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 and 3 and and 4, all three verses, people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient. Wow. Anybody see this happening today? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of, not lovers of good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, but you almost could pick that up in the in the newspaper today, couldn't you? Because this is what is happening in the world today. Man has always been sinners. 
And unless we have a Savior, we are bound by these things. You know, man can think, oh, you know, I'm good. I'm basically a good person. I really don't need religion or whatever. Why, why, why do I need forgiveness? Uh, I've not killed anybody. <laughs> but you see with this whole list that we're sort of bound by that. You know, even in our best day, we're boastful and proud. Even at our best place, we can be greedy, huh? And so acknowledging the fact that we need a Savior, that our darkness needs light, is the first step of understanding there is an answer and there is a solution. Hallelujah. Nothing new, but since Adam and Eve chose pleasure, their own pleasure, rather than God's light, darkness has been on the face of the earth. You know, in the very beginning, in Genesis 1, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, and it was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied this. I hadn't, but somebody preached this, and I said, I can't believe it. I've never seen that before. Isn't that something about the word of God? It always is fresh and new. Light was created on the first day, but the sun and the moon and the stars, not till the fourth. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting concept? I love that because God is the light of the world. Even if there's no sun or moon, God shines brightly. He is the light. In Egypt, God sent a plague of darkness. Interesting concept of showing who the light is and who the light isn't, right? He sent a plague of darkness. No one could see anything for three days. Yet, in Israel, in the place where Israel lived, there was light. Isn't that wonderful? In the wilderness, the fire and the pillar cloud of uh, cloud, the pillar of cloud, pillar of cloud, yeah. I'm got it, I'm sorry, still in Maui time. <laughs> Um, they, were, they led them through the desert. And the fire actually warmed them in the desert at night, but it also gave them light so they could travel day and night, and it didn't matter. And in the tabernacle, which was created by Moses in the desert as a place where God would come and dwell among his people, there is a very strong symbol there in the holy place there was a candelabra that was to be kept burning nonstop. No matter how they were traveling or what they were doing, it was to be lit. It was to always be a symbol. The light of God, the light of Israel would never go out. Amen. Throughout history, God has always had a testimony of his light. Noah showed God's light of mercy. Abraham, his light of friendship. Moses showed God's power to deliver his light. Amen. Joshua demonstrated the light of his authority, God's authority over even evil. Come on. Amen. Most of God's light came, most of all, sorry, most of all, I can read, especially when I'm just all by myself, I can read good, but this morning I'm not doing so good. <laughs> most of all, 
God's light came into the world in the human form of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Jesus shined the light of his Father. He demonstrated the light of his Father, the love, the light of love. Come on, the light of righteousness, the light of his kindness and his compassion and his long-suffering, his grace and his salvation. All of that light came from the Father through Jesus. Amen? The light of man is Jesus. He shined his light in the darkness of evil. He is characterized by a servant. They expected a king, but he came as a suffering servant. He came to do love, wisdom, and justice. In John 1, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. In the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It is dark today, but it's not going to overcome God's light. We have to be God's light. Amen? Anybody here want to be part of God's light? If Jesus comes into our heart and he shines through us, then we are the vessel of his presence. We are the light of the world. In fact, John said, in John 8, 12, it says, Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We can be God's light. Jesus in us, amen? Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they will see your, what? Good deeds, good deeds. And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Whoa, me, the biggest mess and I am, can still shine the light of God's glory? Can I bring praise and glory to God's name because of my good works and my good deeds? Come on. We can make a difference in spite of ourselves. <laughs> light, God's light has been seen down through the ages, demonstrated through men and women who shined in the world around about them. I want to give you some examples. There was a lady named Madame Curie, Marie Curie, a light in the darkness of ignorance. She, her life was characterized by her persistence. She would spend literally thousands of hours over a tiny little microscope trying to find the essence of things that were not or should have been. For instance, she discovered, of course, most of you know, radium which really helped in so many places in medicine, especially with x-rays. During the war, she was instrumental in saving many people's lives because of that. She also did research for cures for cancer, which are still using, being used today. One lady yet made a difference for thousands of people. Abraham Lincoln <laughs> characterized by bravery, a light in the darkness of human suffering. In 1863, he proclaimed, this nation shall have a new birth of freedom. He fought for liberty, first of slaves, 
and he made a difference. Anybody know St. Patrick? <laughs> I love his testimony. He brought the gospel to Ireland and listen, 431 AD. That was early. Wow, what a brave guy. Come on. In fact, he was a slave at one time. And God used him, the light in the darkness. No one knew God here. They were pagans worshiping stones and idols. But he brought forth the light of God's gospel through his devotion to God. Come on. Wow, he made a difference for thousands, even to us today. Amen? Florence Nightingale, ever heard of her? The light of the, she exhibited the light in the darkness of suffering, characterized, her life was characterized by striving for excellence and cleanliness, something so simple, so down to earth, so basic, right? But she was going to help in the war in Crimea. I'm sorry, I'm saying that right. Yes, Crimea. And she was working there, and the filth and the dirt was so terrible that she just was appalled. So she didn't just say, oh, poor, this is horrible, this is horrible. Most of us just complain. <laughs> she dug her toes in and she said, this is going to change. Holy. God, bring this holiness into this place, amen? She began to train uh, nurses and train those doctors. And listen to this. She pushed for fresh air. <laughs> How basic can you get, right? She uh, washed, she pushed for washed hands, sewer cleanouts. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Sterile facilities. Oh, my goodness. Just some real basic things. But today, we're still using her methods. Isn't that amazing? One person can make a difference. The light, a light in the darkness of tyranny was Winston Churchill. A light in the darkness of tyranny, characterized by determination. <laughs> He's just plain stubborn. And he, but he carried through. In 1940, he encouraged the people of England to not give up to the evil that encroached about them. Amen. Mother Teresa ever heard of her? She was in the light of the darkness of poverty, characterized by her passion for people. She instructed the missionaries of charity, in her own words, it would, to take care of the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, and the lepers. All those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared throughout our society. People that have become a burden to society and shunned by everyone. May it be said of us that we had a compassion for people, people that were unwanted and unloved. She opened a hospice from in, in her work in Calcutta. She converted abandoned Hindu temple <laughs> into an orphanage. <laughs> she even brought people that were laying on the street dying, brought them into this little hospice-style room where they weren't able to prevent their dying, but they loved them and cared for them while they did. 
a light in the darkness. And ever, anybody ever heard of Harriet Tubman? I had never heard of her until I saw the movie. <laughs> and she is a woman that was a slave in, uh, I believe, in uh, South Carolina. And she broke free because she saw the horrible abuse. Her heart was broken for her people. And God helped her. In fact, she was beaten so bad that she bore scars until the day she died. And at one point, a rock hit her in the head, and she had convulsions all the rest of her life. Not constantly, but, right? I'm not saying that right, but I think you know what I mean, right? She rescued slaves in 1822 from Maryland and led them to freedom over 90 miles away, mostly on foot. She was a a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) She was amazing. She strove for justice for the for the slaves. And it was an amazing story that was a historical movie that I saw where she would join with others and they would help her along the way. Maybe one person hiding them or giving them a meal as they walked. Come on, what can we do? What is our place? Can we find our place in the darkness? Can we do something? You know, Billy Graham, (laughs) just a just a regular guy, but he preached the gospel, and God gave him millions of souls. He was a light in the darkness of apathy. He made a difference, characterized by conviction, and it's so amazing to hear the testimonies even today of people that were saved under his ministry. He wasn't just in America. He came all over the world. He affected people all over the world. It's the most amazing thing. Just one person. And yet, they affected a world. And we can sit and look at the darkness around us and say, woe is me. What can I do? Or we can find that place that God has put in our heart and shine the light in the darkness. In Isaiah 58, you probably know this by heart, verse 6, loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Clothe the naked and turn don't and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light, I love this part, will break forth. Then your light, your light will break forth. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Anybody getting excited except me? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light 
will rise in the darkness and your night will be become like noonday. This nation, this world, this community need a light. Do you see the needs around you? Is the darkness so great that you've given up? Are you determined to make a difference? It's pretty easy to excuse ourselves. I'm too old, I'm too ugly, I'm too young. <laughs> I'm just too selfish is the problem. <laughs> a few years ago, there was a problem in our church, and it's plagued the world. But I was so frustrated because some of the very young kids, young people that had grown up in our church had gone into drugs and families were broken up and it was so, so terrible I could hardly stand it. And I felt angry. Anybody know what anger does? Sometimes anger is your best friend because it makes you do something. <laughs> I don't think I would have ever disciplined my kids if I hadn't gotten mad. You know, I love them desperately, but you know what? Sometimes you just get comfortable. And if you just didn't get mad, you wouldn't do anything about it. Anybody here besides me? Sometimes that anger drove me to get up and do something about it. <laughs> but I got mad at the situation that having so many of our own people uh, on drugs and hopelessly, hopelessly. So I said, one day, I felt like God said to me, you do something about it. And I just laughed because I knew I was totally inadequate. <laughs> but he says, no, you do something about it. And so I, I don't know what to do, Father. But he just said, you go and I'll help you. So I began to um, call different people in the church that I knew had been in drugs and God had rescued them and they were living free, and I began to talk to them, and we began to make a plan, and pretty soon we had a program, and we were bringing in hundreds of people every week and ministering to them. And no, it wasn't enough, but it was something. It was a light in the darkness, and it was funny to me how God spread that news throughout the island. Oh, everybody hears about transformation. How did that happen? Because those who are being helped spread the gospel of Jesus like wildfire. There's not a greater evangelist in town than the one who just got delivered and gets so excited that God is real and God is merciful and God is able. Amen? Well, I didn't realize what that was all going to look, look like. But it's been 12 years now, and we've seen God intervene and God bring healing and deliverance. What can God do through you? Don't sit there and say, what can I do? Say, Lord, give me something to do. I'll do whatever it takes. A few years ago, there was a movie made about a man who was a conscientious objector. He wouldn't go to war, although he wanted to be in the military, he couldn't carry a gun. And there was a horrible, horrible thing, big mess over all the thing, but finally he was able to be a um, medic. And they allowed him to go into the military as a medic. 
and it showed him going into, I believe it was during the uh, Second World War when we were in the, we were, America was on different sides, really, of the Pacific and the Atlantic. But this showed specifically in the um, South Pacific area. And he was, and they'd gone into this horrible battle. And he would begin to run to people that had been hurt and, and to give them medical assistance. And many times it was morphine just to keep them out of pain. And whatever it was he could do, he, do, he did it. And it showed how the battle raged so hard that finally there was no one standing. And he listened. And he heard someone crying over here. And he ran over and began to minister to them. He drugged them physically down to where he could lower them onto the beach. One after another after another. He worked all night long until he, everyone he had rescued was down. In fact, in the hospital the next morning, they found a couple Japanese. Accidentally, he took pulled them down too. <laughs> but the cry of his heart was, God, help me. Help me get just one more. Help me just reach one more. Help me help just one more. And all night he worked until his hands were bleeding from grabbing the rope and lowering them down onto the beach. What will we stand before God and say, Lord, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough resources. I didn't have enough wisdom or knowledge or understanding. I just didn't know what to do. Yes, there was darkness all around me. I'm just telling you right now, there's a place for you. Every one of us should have a mission. We may not be, be, be the ones that go overseas to a missionary world across the, the nations. But we can be a missionary here in this town, in this city. And they will glorify God because they see your good works. Because they understand that the light is penetrating the darkness. The darkness is real. But the darkness does not overcome the light. We have the light of Jesus in us, don't we? I said this the other night. <laughs> We're cracked pots. We have this treasure, his treasure, in earthen vessels. And most of us not, we're not whole. Anybody here that's got it all together? No, I don't think so. We're just cracked vessels. We're cracked pots. But the light of Jesus, if he dwells in us, can shine out of those cracks. The greater the crack, the greater the light can shine through. <laughs> and you know, Jesus said it. When the woman was washing his feet with oil and drying with her, her tears with her hair, the disciples criticized her. And Jesus said, let her alone. For she had been given, forgiven much. She had been forgiven much. And she was grateful. Have we been forgiven? Have we been cleansed? Have we been purified? Have we, do, are we rejoicing in what God has done to us? Or We're not taking it for granted, are we? 
the marvelous grace of God. Are we worthy? Not even. But because of his love, he's come to us. He's come to us. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can come in and shine out. Who wants to be a light in the darkness? Come in, come in. Choose me, God. Don't let me, don't pass me by. Don't let me get lost in the circumstances of life and miss the calling of God in my life. For it is the most wonderful and glorious thing to have his presence in our life. To be used, to be used by God. Because when we step out, to minister to others, something happens in us. During this time of developing the ministry transformation, there was this young man who came to our church whose name was Daniel, and he had been in and out for almost 10 years, maybe 15. We never saw him most of the time, but periodically he'd show up. But he'd never get involved. We knew he had been raised in a Christian home, and he'd served God. He loved God, and yet there was something wrong. Something was not right. But anyway, he, he came next to past me on the, in the, uh, on the, what do you call, just in front of the platform. And I grabbed him. I says, Daniel, I need your help. Can you help me? And he goes, whatever you want me to do, Pastor, I'll do it. Okay, I'll get him now. <laughs> so I asked him to come and join me with the transformation ministry. And he came sort of reluctantly, although, you know, I wondered how long he'd stay. But all of a sudden, he began to minister. And something changed in him. What I didn't know is that he was an alcoholic then. He was so bound by alcohol that he couldn't live his life for Jesus. Oh, yeah, he loved the Lord, but he was bound. He was so bound. But when he began to serve, when he began to see other people in their need, when he began to reach out of himself and his selfishness, he was so transformed that now, 12 years later, he's a pastor on our staff ministering to hundreds of people. What happened? He'd experienced the Lord. He had experienced salvation. But he wasn't using what God wanted him to use. So he was still bound. Things can bind us, and we don't even realize we're bound. But if when we break out of that bondage to do something for Jesus, things change. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the anointing. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, the only people that were anointed for service was the prophets, the priests, and the kings. You didn't just go pour oil on somebody's head. That didn't happen. The prophets, the priests, and the kings, that was it. That was what the anointing was for. And today, we are prophets and priests in the kingdom of heaven, are we not? Because of the blood of Jesus, we have become into his kingdom, prophets, priests, and kings. So when he comes and the Holy Spirit comes down upon us, it's more than speaking in tongues. 
It's the power of God to transform not only us, but others. And Daniel had to reach out to others before he could get healed. And he told me his testimony. He said, I would sit on the couch and drink and feel sorry for myself. But when he began to see the needs of others and to love others and step out into the anointing, something happened. Something dramatically happened. Can you stand with me? And just bow your head before the Holy Spirit right now. Because I'm asking him to reveal something, some dark place that you can minister. Oh, I don't have the title of pastor. I'm not a minister. What can I do? Oh, if you've got the Holy Spirit anointing, there's no limitations for you. And God will use you just like he did a Marie Curie or an Abraham Lincoln or even, God forbid, a Winston Churchill. <laughs> what does God want to do in you and through you? And as you bow your heads and close your eyes just a minute, Jesus, right now, I pray, Holy Ghost, reveal a specific area that you want them to take steps of faith, to work out your light in the darkness, to demonstrate to the world the light of your presence. Jesus, reveal right now. Lord, I'm asking that you place in their heart a... a, a Maybe a vision or, or a dream or maybe something, a need that they say, oh, I really would like to meet that need. Father, you can do that. I'm asking that you do it right now. I don't want anybody to leave this room without a sense of purpose, a calling on their life. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we will be your witnesses, your light in the darkness. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And while your heads are bowed right now, I'm just going to ask if there's something in you that's preventing you. Like Daniel's addiction to alcohol. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's questions in your mind. Why did this happen? And I can't understand. I don't know if I can trust God because I couldn't trust my dad or my mom. I'm not sure I can step out because I don't know. Think I'm worthy or good enough? What bondage is keeping you from experiencing the power of God to transform this nation? Because if every Christian on earth would arise with a vision and a dream and a calling, 
we get this world saved. I believe that. God is enough. God is enough. He's enough. He is enough. He's enough for you this morning. If there's some bondage that you just, you don't have to say it out loud, and you can just stay right in your seat, but just raise your hand. Pastor, in your heart, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. Something's preventing me from being that light in a darkness. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Yes. Anybody else? None of us probably feel worthy. But the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. Jesus, thank you for those who have raised their hand saying, help me, Jesus. Let's just repent together. Lord, I repent. Come, Lord, and save me from my selfishness. Save me, oh God. I need you, Jesus. Because you paid the penalty for my sin, I know that you are big enough to handle my sin and my inadequacy my failures. Jesus, come into my heart. Be that light in this broken vessel. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's all be seated just a minute. We've just got a little bit of time, and um, I didn't properly introduce you. I mean, a lot of the leaders, a lot of people have heard the story, but there's some here that have not heard about your call to Maui and just where you're at, you know, so if you can just take five, ten minutes to tell us. Um, you need to hear how Pastor Colleen and her husband have been so sold out all of their lives and we have them right here and that's why I'm encouraging you all to come again tonight and receive something I met my husband in college and he was a missionary's kid and I was just a regular person <laughs> but God linked our hearts together and we went into ministry youth ministry just after graduation and then uh, the pastor that we were working for about five years later had been asked to go to Honolulu and invited us to go with him. And when we went, we didn't realize, of course, what that would be like because we were away from our friends and our family. But God had a call for us. And the church there in Honolulu began to grow and it did so well. And um, my husband was helping with uh, small groups and um, the choir and education and youth and he just stepped in wherever he could step in to help and after we'd been there almost five years a church in Maui called us and they had lost their pastor and it was a little bit scary I had just given birth to my son and we decided to go it was a, a little church of about 30 and it was a little scary because it was a different culture it was a in a smaller island, um, not, not Honolulu where the big city is, so it's a smaller city. 
But we went, and my husband got a vision. Felt like the Holy Spirit called him to see the island really saved. And so even though it was a big vision and a really <laughs> very limited resources, he just went in, guns blazing. <laughs> and God began to touch people and call them. And, and they were, you know what? They saw the passion of my husband, and people began to get excited. How many know our faith can be contagious? <laughs> and that's what happened. People just started being so excited about their faith in God. And people were getting saved and filled with the Spirit. And the church began to grow. And that first year, we grew to almost 700. And then on our anniversary Sunday, we had a guest speaker, and it was over 1,000. <laughs> so that was an amazing, amazing time for us. But all my children were small, and so mostly I stayed at home with my kids. And the church began to grow, so we had hired on different staff people. And God just began to honor our faith. And, you know, I never felt really worthy or special or like we can do this. It was always, oh, God, help us. Oh, God, help us. Oh, God, help us. Always crying before God. Oh, God, help us. Because there we knew that in ourselves we couldn't do nothing. But God was sovereignly calling forth people. And now, you know, we can look back. It's been 42 years. <laughs> and we can look back and say, look what God did. He sovereignly touched people. He called people to help us and to do the ministry with us. And the people begin to grow. But, you know, it's just a little church in comparison to so many. In a little spot in the world, just a little island in the middle of the Pacific. But the vision came to touch the Pacific Islands. In fact, we saw sort of a ring around, the, uh, around Hawaii in the center, of the ring of the Pacific uh, Rim. And we began to plant churches in those areas. And God began to grow them. And so now at this point, we're actually at 400 and I think 70 churches. And we have some in around the Pacific again, but we also have now some in, um, in uh, the mainland America. We call the mainland America because we're an island off. The, <laughs> so it just comes out, you know. You <laughs> those terms, right? So we, we have now um, Marshallese ministries that work with us and actually part of our, our, uh, our network. And anybody know what a Marshallese is? The Marshall Islands is like if you would take a map and you'd see Hawaii and then you see maybe go directly uh, west to um, the Philippines. The Marshall Islands are like halfway in between. And they're little atolls. You know the atolls? That's the top of mountains, basically just a, um, uh, what are those things called? Those little crustaceans that make uh, the atolls. Anyway, it's about six feet off of the island, uh, the ocean, um, what do you call? That's sea level, right? So about, about six feet off of sea level. So anytime they have storms, everybody has to hang on to a coconut tree. I mean, it's so scary. When you're there, you just go, whoa, because there's just very little land and 
you know, all water. But they do fishing and they do other things like that. And then, then we have many, many uh, Japanese in our congregations, many Filipinos. Because Hawaii is sort of in the center, there was a lot of migration in the early years. In fact, it's so interesting because um, the, um, the, island, the islands are known for sugar cane because of tropical and also pineapple. And so people came with the expertise for those specific areas. So for instance, the Philippines, who really experts in pineapple, and then also in, um, in uh, sugarcane, there was places like, um, we, we, in those early years, in the 1800s, we'd had people from, um, I can't even think this morning, my brain, is on my sermon, not on <laughs> my history. But anyway, the church became a very multi, a multicultural church. So that right now, in, even on our staff, we have Hawaiian, Japanese, me, um, Mexican, um, Tongan, Marshallese, um, Portuguese, uh, We'd probably have 10 or so just different cultures in, on our staff. And then, of course, the church as well is that. But what it's done to us is made us feel like there's nothing too hard for God. Look who he saved and look who he's brought. And so it's given us sort of maybe a worldwide vision to see God's kingdom expressed. And so my husband has a vision to see 1,000 200 churches in our network. And what we do in our network, so you understand, it's a little different than some churches do, but what we call it is one church in all of these different locations. So we don't say, okay, you want to start a church in uh, Timbuktu? So you go ahead and go, and we'll pray for you. No, if you go to Timbuktu, you're still part of our church. You're still part of the vision. Your money comes to us, and we take care of all your needs. <laughs> it's really like a big family. But the reason we do that is because many of these small churches that get started, they don't have anybody that can do the bookkeeping and the insurance problems and the staffing. And so that helps being one church in all of these different locations. And so that's sort of what we're doing right now. But the vision is... 1,200 churches in 2025 and 120,000 people in our network. And that's the vision for our church. Not because, not because we can do it, but because we believe God to do it. And the, there's that scripture that says, as your faith is, so shall it be. Do you believe that? So if we have faith as a mustard seed, we're going to see a harvest. Amen? Amen? Life groups. Um, I'm getting coached from the front row. <laughs> we started life groups when we first, actually when we were still in Honolulu, because that was our desire. We called them life groups. They're small groups. And we would, um, we, that was just our 
emphasis because many times people are threatened by church going, but they'll come to your home for a study. Or if you don't want to meet in the house, then many people meet at the Starbucks or at a restaurant and just have coffee together. And then um, they'll, and then so we supply the, the training and the materials for them as they grow. And so at this point, we're at 700, whew, and we're pushing like crazy to get to 1,000 small groups. And so um, in the churches in Hawaii, we, um, we emphasize the small groups because we feel like, look, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What and what? Make disciples. So if we preach the gospel and people get saved but they're not discipled, there's no ground for them. They're still on, salt, uh, on uh, what do you call, sand. So they need to stand up on the rock and get trained and disciples so that they can stand against the works of the enemy. Not only that, but in the small groups, that's how we raise up our leaders. So for instance, if you come to the church for the first time, we say, hey, let's put you into a small group in your neighborhood. And they say, oh, okay, you know, not real sure, but we give them a name and an address, phone number, and pretty soon they show up. And then that connection with another person begins to help them be discipled. So the next thing that happens is they begin to take part in that small group. Maybe they'll bring refreshments or maybe they'll just have, a, you know, bring a juice or sometimes they just stand at the door and greet people or whatever, something that they want to do to help. And then as they grow in their discipleship there, then we say, how would you like to become a small group leader? And so then we take them and get them trained, another step in training, and we give them the material, and we help them get started with their small group. So then as they grow in those small groups, it's our way of raising up not only disciples, but also pastors. Because if we're going to do 1,200 churches, <laughs> we need 1,200 pastors and ministers and people who go alongside to get these works going. And so that's how we get started with our small groups. And, you know, who's those who are faithful in the little things, right? God gives them more. Amen. Thank you for hearing me out this morning. You're so precious. There's such a, I, I tell you, since the first time I came into this building, I just sense really a hunger for more of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Keep hungering, keep thirsting, keep running after Jesus, and he will satisfy you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We look to God that he will direct your steps and blessings through this week. For more information, visit us at bangercommunitychurch.co.uk or find us on Facebook.